Hello, Grace family, and welcome to another Sunday together. And uh, as I've been in conversation with youth the last few weeks, there is some clear anxiety about the upcoming school year. And as that approaches, and it's about a month away or even closer, uh, I think I just want to encourage us and invite us as a church family to lift up youth, parents, teachers in prayer. Uh, and if obviously, if you know families that are anxious or fearful or worried in any way about the upcoming school year to reach out to them and have a conversation and dialogue about uh, about what that looks like for them as a family and especially if you know teachers as well and so much unknown in that uh, and then also for youth and just encouraging them and dialoguing with them about kind of what's to come and we don't know at this point but uh, it is going to be different. That is clear. And a lot of the normal expectations and things that we look forward to in the fall uh, are just going to look different. So I wanted to just take a moment for us to want to just acknowledge that and as a community come alongside one another in that way. As we look at what does it look like to love one another more faithfully, I think this is a really clear, tangible way that we can think about that in this time. So will you pray with me as we lift up just this upcoming school year and uh, teachers and parents and our youth. Father, we trust you. Even in the midst of continued uncertainty and as we look to the school year ahead, a transition into a new season, uh, and so much feels unchanged from the last few months. And so much that we look forward to, a lot of the fun memory-making things, a lot of the uh, the exciting moments with sports and, and other things, and also uh, just the normal rhythm of school and that looking different. I pray for teachers that you would give them courage and patience and energy. I pray for parents that you would give them those things as well and more, that you would uh, help them uh, navigate these uncharted waters. And uh, would you give them patience and grace for themselves? And would you be uh, close to them? And I lift up our youth, that uh, you would help them see this year as an opportunity and that you would help them uh, and just envision what you have for them this year uh, in the midst of disappointment or just a different kind of school year. So we trust you, God. We know that this is so much bigger than us, but we just submit to you in this and we want to uh, be faithful. So we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin our time this morning together, let's put God in his rightful place. Creator, his son Jesus, King, our King. Let's bring ourselves before him now. Would you do that with us as we sing about his greatness and his majesty? Holy, holy, holy.
strange and lovely sound I hear it in the thunder and the rain It's ringing in the skies Like cannons in the night The music of studying a passage in James today and looking again at how we speak to one another. So this is James 4, 11 through 12. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. 
There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? This is the word of the Lord. So this summer, we are looking at the one another's of the New Testament to consider how to love one another, how to engage one another, especially in these times we're living in. And we're taking two weeks to consider the wake of our words. All day long, we're talking and we're, we're putting out a wake with our words. And we, we leave and then people are left in that wake. We're asking ourselves, do we leave people in this wake that is encouraging and uplifting and gracious and God-honoring? So last week, we looked at a positive command from Paul where he says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And then this morning, we're going to look at a negative command from James where he says, do not slander one another. And like so many of these one another's, I I just think this one is so relevant. I can't think of a more relevant time where we need to be reminded of what our speech is and whether we are engaging in speech that is overly critical and slanderous, because that's what we see all over in our society right now. So here's what I'd like to do this morning. Uh, First, I want to talk just briefly about what I think James means by this word slander. And then I want to look at two simple but very poignant questions James asks us in this passage that should radically change the way we speak to and about one another. So first, uh, what is slander? That's my NIV translation says slander. Most translations actually say something like to speak against or to speak evil against someone. The original Greek word, it's a compound word, and the base of the word is just the, the generic word for to speak. And then it has a prefix on it that can mean down or against. So it simply means to speak against someone or to speak down on someone. And I, I like that down idea because I think what's behind this, it's, it's this implicit sense of superiority that I'm up here and that you're down there and I'm talking to you from a place of superiority. And this word slander gets paired in our passage with the word judge, also in verse 11, whoever speaks against or who judges somebody. That's the same word Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't judge one another. So speaking against and judging together, this is talking about speech that comes from this implicit place of superiority, and its intent is to criticize or to vilify or to dismiss or to insult. And it can do that in ways that are really obvious, or it can do that in ways that are really subtle. But the whole intent of this kind of speech is to do that sort of thing. And I think it's helpful just right up front to to distinguish this from other things that I think actually aren't bad. For instance, we would obviously want to distinguish slander from something like loving correction. Loving correction where we come alongside another believer and we see something they're doing in their lives that isn't aligned with Scripture. And we want to help them and go, hey, are you noticing this about yourself? But that is coming from this place of genuine care and concern for them. And I think we can all intuitively, we, we know the difference between those two things, like when, when it's coming from love and when it's coming from a place of judgment. But certainly, we want to leave the door open for loving correction. And the other thing I think we want to distinguish slander from is just what I would call critique, which is to be able to appropriately critique and even challenge one another's ideas. I think slander is about the person, but I think when it comes to ideas, we're actually encouraged to engage in ideas and challenge one another and be able to say to one another, actually, I don't think that idea is true, and here's why. We should be able to have that kind of 
spirited debate in terms of the ideas that we think about. And it's interesting, Paul, when he's talking about ideas, he uses very strong language sometimes. Like in 2 Corinthians, he says, we demolish arguments. We, we take every thought captive to Christ. So he uses very strong language that we can absolutely challenge one another's ideas. And that's a, a, an appropriate and loving thing to do. And I think that's, that's a good thing to say, especially in our society, because in the last 20 or 30 years, I think we've become an increasingly sensitive society where if you challenge my ideas, I feel like you're judging me. And I think scriptures say, no, it's okay to challenge ideas. So I think that's the difference. Slander is about the person. Critique is about the idea. It's really the difference between saying, here's why I don't think that idea is true and saying, I think you're an idiot, right? We all, we all know the difference between those two things. And so I just want to distinguish that. I think that's important. Um, but that being said, um, this is language that's, the intent is to, as I said, to vilify, to dismiss, to insult. And again, this is, this is in the air that we're breathing right now. And so it's a really good time to just kind of step back and ask ourselves, you know, am I playing the game that the world's playing right now? Because that is not the, that's not the, the game of Jesus. Am I following in the ways of Jesus in the way that I speak to and speak about others? So here's what James does and where I'd like to spend most of our time this morning. Um, he offers us these two really simple but really important questions that should really change the way we, we talk about one another. And here are the two questions. It's this. Who are they and who are you? Okay, simple. Who are they and who are you? So the first one, he gets us to think about this question. Who are they? Who is that person that you're wanting to slander? And he doesn't actually ask this question explicitly. I think it's more implicit in the language. He's getting us to be reminded of who the person is that we're slandering. He does this at the beginning of the passage and at the end. So first in verse 11, he says, brothers and sisters, don't slander one another. And it's this reminder of who that person is. That's a brother or that's a sister. So brother and sister is the language of, of family. So he's talking about fellow believers in the family of God when we're tempted to criticize or condemn fellow believers. But he's getting us to remind ourselves, who is that person? They're, they're a brother. They're a fellow child of God, meaning they were someone for whom God sent his son and for whom Jesus chose to give his life, who's been forgiven by God, who's been adopted into God's family now, God's their father, who is in Christ, who stands as an object of God's affection and approval in Christ, and who's destined for eternal glory with Christ. That's who this person is. This is a child of God. Do you want to slander one of God's own children? That's not something you want to do. This is your brother. This is your sister. That's who they are. He also gets us to, to ask that question who they are by the way he ends the passage. The final word in this, in this passage in verse 12, he says, Who are you to judge your, and he uses the word, neighbor? Remember, that person is your neighbor. Now, I think this takes us even outside of the family of faith to include all human beings because you see that command to love your neighbor as yourself and then you, you see how Jesus uses that word neighbor. You look at the parable of the Good Samaritan and you begin to realize Jesus defines neighbor essentially as, as anybody, <laughs> any human being. There's nobody who's not my neighbor. 
And so if any of us are walking around asking, you know, who, who can I legitimately slander? Like, I know there's some people I can't, but who would be someone I can legitimately slander? I think James' answer would be nobody. Neighbor, neighbor includes everybody, literally everybody. Neighbor includes the governor. Neighbor includes the president. Neighbor includes your boss or your actual neighbor who gives you a really hard time every time you see him or your spouse or your friends. Neighbor includes everybody your fellow human being, which is to say your fellow image bearer, because that's what human beings are. They are these one-of-a-kind creatures who have been made in the very image of God, who bear his likeness in some beautiful way. And so every human being is worth so much and is to be respected with dignity and worth. And so when you slander another human being, you're slandering God's image. And James is getting us to think, do you, do you really want to slander God's own image? And he mourns the fact that this happens in chapter 3. Chapter 3, 9, he says this, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who are made in God's image. He's saying, what a sad thing. We can gather, we can sing songs of praise to God, and then we can go out and curse someone who is made in that God's own image. All that to say, he's getting to think, remember who this person is. They're a brother or sister. They're a neighbor. They're a fellow image bearer. And again, I know I'm saying this a lot, but this is so important to remember in this current moment that we're living in. Because right now, I feel like people are just being put into categories, right? We just put people in categories, whether it's a, a political category or a racial category or an ideological category. And, and we just vilify just based on whatever category you fall into. And that's what's happening in our society today. And, and none of that appreciates the beauty and the complexity of what a human being actually is. And so James is subtly getting us to remember that question. Who is that? That is a brother or sister. That is a a neighbor. That is an image bearer. We don't want to slander an image bearer. So that's the first question. Who are they? And then the second question, and this one is not implicit. This one is explicit. The second question, this is the real question of the passage, is who are you? Verse 12 ends, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And as I said, this is the real question, the question, uh, real question of this passage. Who are you? Meaning, who do you think you are? Essentially, is what he's saying. And James is confronting us. He's, he's, I'll say a nice word. He's inviting us to consider our place in the world, and he encourages us to consider our place with God's law. So look at verse eleven. He says, "Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister, or judges them, speaks against the law and judges it." When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. So I think when James uses the word law here, he's referring to the same thing that he's he's referring to throughout this letter. He talks about the royal law, the law that gives freedom, and essentially it's the law that is summed up in the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. And so he says in this, this verse, when you slander somebody, first off, you are not keeping the law. Because the law commands love, and you're engaging in hate. So you're obviously not keeping the law, but, 
More than that, you're actually judging the law when you do this. And we don't realize we're doing this. But when you slander, you're saying the law is wrong. The law should actually, should actually uh, command criticism and judgment instead of love and grace. So you're actually looking down on the law and you're saying, I, I know better than the law. Which is a really obviously dangerous place to be because then that raises the question of what is your place not just with the law, but with the law giver himself. And that's where Paul leaves us in verse 12. He says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. And this really gets at the heart of the issue, I think. He's saying, when you judge another human being, you are taking the place of God. Or at least you're putting yourself on the same level as God. You're you're basically saying, you know, I, I think there should be two judges in the universe, God and me. <laughs> I think that's how the universe should, should be set up. And, and most of the time God gets it right, but sometimes he needs a little help. And so I'm going to step up to his level and I'm going to offer judgment uh, on his level. And James is like saying, hey, <laughs> there is one judge. There's not two. There's one judge and one lawgiver. And by the way, he is the one who is able to save and destroy. I mean, he has the power to save and destroy. And I think that means at least he is perfectly qualified to be the judge because he can offer judgments and then save or destroy accordingly. Um, but who are you, Paul's saying? You can't save someone. You can't destroy somebody. You're, you're just a fallible creature like they are. You're in no place to take the role of judge. And so just to, to bring this home, um, this has been really interesting for me to study this this week. And, and, and here's what I've learned. It's that this passage on slander, that's what the passage is about on the surface, but it's actually ultimately a passage about humility. That's really what it's all about. And that's what struck me most this week as I've studied this passage and other passages that talk about criticism and judging one another. It's really interesting. Those passages, they don't do what I would expect them to do. And what I would expect them to do is call us to grace and love and kind words instead. And that's actually not what they do. They actually confront us with our pride and they call us to humility. That's primarily what all of these passages do. That's what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Don't judge or you'll be judged. And he says, you've got a log in your own eye and you're trying to take the speck out of your brother's eye. That doesn't make any sense. You're full of pride. You're not self-aware. This passage says, don't slander. And then he says, who who do you think you are? And so what what I'm learning is slander and criticism is not first and foremost a failure of love though it certainly is that. But I think these passages tell us that it is first and foremost a failure of humility. It is a pride that reveals a profound lack of awareness and a lack of a true understanding of our place in the universe, of where we actually stand. And ultimately, I think it's, it reveals this profound lack of the gospel. It reveals this, this reality that at least in this moment, we ourselves are not living in the gospel because this is what the gospel is. We are broken, imperfect sinners who deserve justice from the judge. 
But that very judge has chosen instead through his son to offer forgiveness and grace and a no condemnation experience. And every single day as we are in Christ, we get to experience that grace and mercy. And so ultimately, I think the call of passages like this is to root ourselves more and more in the gospel of God's grace, which leads to humility. And that then leads us to be able to extend grace and mercy and kindness and love and generous speech to one another. In our walk of faith, whenever we encounter truth in God's Word, we need to reflect on the specific ways it intersects with our actual lives. If all we do is consider these things conceptually, uh, without ever bringing them home, or more importantly, without ever bringing them to God, then we miss out on the transformative power of the Spirit in our lives. I don't know how today's message hit you, but for me, there's so much there that's convicting. So let's take a moment of silence for thoughtful consideration of what we've heard today and reflect on conversations that we may have had of late. Maybe there's someone that you've spoken to that had the effect of tearing them down or conversations that you've had that were coming from a judgmental or self-righteous spirit. Whatever it might be, let's bring those things before the Lord in confession right now. Father, we acknowledge that sometimes what comes out of our mouth can be really damaging and hurtful to those around us. And we want to become more and more aware of those occasions. And when we blow it, help us, Lord, help us to come to you in confession with a heart of repentance. And may we have the courage also to go to those we've wronged, seeking their forgiveness and repair where needed. Lord, may our presence with others be uplifting, encouraging, and hopeful. And may what we give to others be the best of ourselves, not our worst. So, Father, we call upon you to help us do what we cannot do for ourselves. Lord, do what you need to do within us. Refine these ways within us. That we might think of ourselves with sober judgment before we jump into conversations that might tempt us to tear others down. And may we remember your lavish grace that has been poured out on us. And may that cultivate in us humility that would be reflected in life-giving encounters with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing How Great Thou Art. The heart of this song is thanking God for being our Savior. How great thou art for saving and sparing me. Let's think back on what, what did he save you from? What has he saved us from and what is he saving us from still? We have a merciful God. Let's sing to him now. How great thou art. I hear the rolling thunder. 
encouraged by our time this morning and we invite you now to consider some of the reflection questions that we'll put up on the screen. And let's close with this benediction. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.